Welcome to Growth Marketing Camp, a podcast powered by OpenSense, where we sit down with leaders and founders from diverse backgrounds in marketing, tech, and beyond to explore what it takes to build a leading brand that's shaping the world of B2B. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Growth Marketing Camp. I'm your host, Jess Bidding, and today I'm excited to welcome Nemanja, CEO and founder of Funky Marketing and the host of the Funky Marketing Show podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here in the late Serbian hours and to chat about marketing and all the exciting stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I know you mentioned that it's 8 o'clock there. And then I was like, you're very lucky because what, what would you rather be doing at 8 o'clock than having this awesome conversation with me, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's totally right. I just watched my, my favorite basketball team, Partizan, won the game. So the atmosphere is here and everything is good. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I know we were talking about your basketball fan. Is there any other sports that you watch besides basketball? Basically, no. That's the only thing that left. I was watching football when I was little, but that was too boring. Yeah, it's, yeah. Or it's too boring now. Basketball is dynamic sport that I played for 13 years. My father was a coach. Right. So, yeah, a lot of inherited basketball spirit. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. So I used to play basketball when I was in middle school. I was not good. <laughs> But um, I'm tall and I have a, me and my sister were on the same team. We're both tall. That was why the coach told us we should, we should do it. And obviously, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a very athletic person. So that didn't carry through, but I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you've got some real spirit for it. I know we've had a couple of exchanges before you even coming onto the show, but I just want to call out the last one because I thought it was wonderful, but I had been following Funky Marketing for a while. I think I, I found you guys on my feed sometime last year, like Q1 or Q2. And I like the stuff you guys are posting on your Funky Marketing on the LinkedIn page because it was not promotional. It was just like awesome practical ideas. And I love the tone. And I'm like, okay, this stuff makes sense. This stuff resonates. And I remember I followed Funky Marketing and then I would start seeing your posts. And I believe I had connected with you. And then just recently, I think it's been like, what, one or two months, you had reached out. And I guess maybe you were going through your your list and uh, you had reached out to me. We had an awesome exchange. I have anxiety whenever I have an email message because I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be another pitch. And I'm one of those people where I'm like, I will always want to reply, but then it's a pitch and I'm like, ugh. But you just sent like, hey, how's it going? And it was so like, I didn't have to action anything except for read your message. And then I went into creep mode, which is what I shared later on my LinkedIn. Because I'm like, hey, he's done everything right. And for some reason, I remember I was on the Funky Marketing website. Very cool. Super retro design. I really like it. And then I'm like, damn, how do I, how did I end up here? And then I want to document that and share that. So we had a fun little exchange. So kind of talk to me about that. Because I know you shared it. You shared it on your LinkedIn as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, I post a lot of content and I want to uh, to have the additional thing because people mostly, you know, go, let's go to the feed, let's create posts, let's engage in the feed, but they forget about the one-on-one connection, right? That is happening in the DMs. I can comment a thousand times on, on your post and if you don't reach out or uh, I don't reach out, we would never connect on the next level, right? So I, I tend to let people consume some of my content and when I reach out, you know, I just want to send a welcome message to say, hey, I'm here. If I can help you, feel free. Usually the profile is optimized so you can easily see how can I help. 
And basically that's it. If there's a change that we do something together, perfect. If not, who knows? Like everything's changing really fast today. Like, you know, if you are not white target group now, maybe you will be in three months, in a year. Who knows? Yeah. You know, but, but if we have a relationship and everything goes like in a month, you may be shopping for what I'm selling or reverse. And, you know, and I might be on top of mind. You know, so, so that's usually how, how it goes. The, the thing that actually worked was the, that last one sentence, you know, like if I can help, everything is on my profile. You can check it out. Because before that, I usually was sending just like, hey, hey, just wanted to drop a line and say hi. You know, uh, and it's okay. I opened the conversation, but they don't check out what I actually do. Mm. I, had, I, I had one one lady who said, can we schedule a call? And I was like, damn, that was too fast. Tell yeah. me what happened. Tell me what happened. So she, she told me, I saw the message. We were already looking for somebody to help us with marketing. I connected with you. I saw some of the posts. Then you sent me a message. So, okay, I checked out your profile. Uh, I saw uh, who are mutual connections. I saw who's uh, reacting to your post. I saw that there's a work experience and I said, okay, why don't we set up a call? Mm -hmm. You know, things are usually that easy. And I found out that we in B2B marketing are very often uh, complicated things. And I think that I have a job because people overthink. Yeah, you're so right about that. You know, what's funny when I shared my experience, the one thing I actually failed to mention was almost like it was a perfect, you had created a perfect ecosystem for that you know, me to be that curious because I had already had trust in you and in funky marketing. So if it was just something random, but that, but the, that, that being said, human psychology, right? That question at the end, check out my profile. People are, you know, I think people are inherently, they like to creep. So it's like, oh, I wonder what this guy is all about. When I, when I read the message and that's how it ended, it ended, that was your call to action. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting here reading the message, might as well check out his profile. But that being said, you guys had been, I had some trust already built in you and the stuff, this is, I guess, what they call dark social, right? The stuff that happens in the background that you don't know, just like what you shared about your other client. She had seen your guys' page. She had already kind of seen your work and um, seen the kind of people that engage with you. So she, you already had some credits built up in, in her mind. So when you reached out, the timing was just perfect. And that being said, what you shared with me earlier, that's you just want to go and you want to be able to say hi, no strings attached, no pressure. That's still such a wonderful way to think about it because when you think about B2B marketers, especially marketing leaders, how much they've got on their plate and brand, what you guys do. So we'll talk about funky marketing a little bit. But if now is not the right time, it will be the right time a month from now, three months from now, a year from now. I don't know, depending on campaigns or when you've got additional budget. And I will for sure know that the first time I have more budget for brand, I will think of funky marketing as the first thing because we've already ha built some some of you know personal connection and we have trust in you. And I see what you guys are sharing. So wonderful um, strategy. Again, I call it out, even though it could be fairly practical because still people don't do it. And I know that you've probably experienced your fair share of like people trying to sell you things in your inbox. And the people that I speak to, it's the same deal. But talk to me a little bit about Funky Marketing, what you guys do and for whom. But before you do, how you came up with that name? Yeah, that's that's an interesting story. Basically, I, I had this thing on my phone for like, I don't know, like 12 years or something like that. Keep it funky. And, and basically, it, it came from the time when I was playing basketball. You know, at the time, it was G-Funk coming out in the 90s and those kind of things. 
and then like my father was listening to a lot of uh, Motown, so Marvin Gaye and all the other stuff. So that's where it came uh, came from. But also like when I created the company, I wanted to have like when funky marketing enters the room, I want to know how I can describe it, right? And I want to describe the feeling. So it was basically NBA All-Star game, I think is 97, Los Angeles Coliseum, like all the, the biggest names in the history of basketball were there. And the national anthem was supposed to be performed by, by Marvin Gaye. He wasn't the first choice. Basically, it was um, Lionel Richie, but they only knew one song, Hello, of course. So so uh, he didn't pass. The Marvin Gaye was in a bad voice over there because of drugs, depression, a lot, a lot of things. He didn't answer the call, so they didn't know if he's going to show up. But the music has started, and it's it was totally different than the national anthem before. It was just like... Let's get it on, you know, like that, that mood, like the guy who is playing the music said, oh, shit, get a fuck beat up. Yes. Uh, but he didn't. And then Marvin Gaye came up to the, to the center of the court in a blue suit, wearing sunglasses with the pricing in reverse. He didn't know or he didn't care. And he just started to sing. And people were first uh, confused because it was first time that somebody sang the national anthem in a different way. Then they started to clap. And then like the whole, uh, the whole Coliseum was cheering. When he finished, the NBA players like Magic Johnson said, uh, I pick up the phone and call somebody. And I said, man, this guy just, just stole the show. Pat Riley said it was great. It was new, but also it was old and it was the hood. It was like he came just as a lynch fin over there, uh, like left alone by everybody and came in and changed the game. Like nobody before him sang the national anthem in a different way. And if you now go to the YouTube and find that, that video, like you can see in the comments, people writing, like, I think this is the first and the last time somebody made babies listening to the national land, <laughs> you know? So, so that's the kind of vibe that I wanted, that I wanted to have. And basically why did I come up with all that? Because my background was in, in B2C. I was working in B2C for like 10 years before that in activism and, uh, an NGO working with you, those kind of stuff. I first learned how to give the value, then the money will follow, not the other way around. Then I specialize in performance marketing. So email marketing, email automation, website automation, those kind of stuff. Pretty advanced 2017, 18. At the time, at least in this region, after a year and a half or two, something like that, I figured out that, uh, you know, the, the saying was automation works while you sleep, right? But I figure out that it works while you have the budget, the whole performance market, right? Then you need brand, then you need content, then you need to do some other stuff. So when I was thinking about coming up with something uh, of my own, I had that in mind, but I went into B2B as I had like 9,000 connections on LinkedIn. Uh, I had a personal brand and I reached out to a lot of people, had a lot of 15 minute virtual coffees and I saw the pattern that keeps repeating that I can fill in with what I know from B2C. So basically B2B was foggy, mystic, no humanity. Like people were describing their ICP as a building, not as a set of people inside the company that you need to, you know, to sell to, a great relationship with them, et cetera, et cetera. So it came up with that mindset. It was around the time where also like, Chris Walker started to preach about demand gen instead of lead gen, those kind of stuff. Actually a year after him, but it was just popping up. 
And basically I was able to, to close 47 deals in a year. I closed all of them inbound. So over the LinkedIn, as I closed them, people came to me and say, ah, I recognize you, uh, the way you are talking, messaging, those kind of stuff. I want to work with you. So that's how I grew, grew the team as well. And, and now like three years and two months after we are basically work with hundred plus companies, all of them in B2B tech. And we switch a little bit. It was first like the, the agency model, but I figure out that I don't want to work with anybody just to pay people. I want to work with a company that I enjoy working with. So basically the model is kind of different than the others. It's sort of like consultancy with leading the implementation. Basically I have the freedom to work with who's the best fit for the project. So it's basically around the same age people I've been working with for the last 10 years, but mm -hmm. in a different way. So yeah, in short, that's it. Yeah. Okay. So absolutely appreciate the ex explanation. Now I realize uh, when you shared your story for how Funky came, it's so wonderful to see how much attention and thought was given to it, to your business, right? The naming of it is when you start it. Also, I got to say, now you really confirmed in my head, you are totally an NBA fan. You are a sports fan. You love basketball. But um, what a wonderful, one of the things that you mentioned to me, I just jotted it down, when you made your transition from B2C to B2B, actually noticing that people in this community, right, B2B marketers and um, whoever your target audience is, they were describing their ICP as buildings versus people. It's funny that I think now, because of all of the, the news on LinkedIn and a lot of these opinions and the point of views that have come out, that is like very obvious now that, that there is starting to be a shift, yet a lot of the first movers are making that shift. There's still a lot of people that continue to describe it as a building. Also, thank you so much for sharing how you were able to close so many deals inbound because of the stuff that you guys were doing. I'm curious, I know you mentioned you, you have eight people on your team. What does your team look like? And is most of the stuff, most of your business still inbound at this point? Yeah, all of it is it's inbound. It's yep. coming through, uh, through inbound, maybe referrals, maybe my LinkedIn, uh, some of the things that guys from the team are doing, you know, some of the things from the podcast people mm -hmm. are listening to, but, uh, but that's mostly that. And the team, I started with a video editor. Basically, that was the first guy that I hired because uh, I needed to figure out where I am compared to the people that are doing the same thing in the US, in Europe in Australia. So like the first 10 episodes of the podcast are that. So I brought in people and I asked him, how did you get there? So when I saw that, uh -huh, after the 10th episode, it became a discussion, right. but I needed somebody to help me chop up the videos and create the content and, and those kind of stuff. So it was first that guy, the second was the guy who uh, was supposed to be with the, my second person, but I made the mistake that can be uh, useful for the audience. I hired the guy who is the same as me like seven years older, but the same as me, we figure out we are even born on the same day. And I needed him to take care of, uh, of like managing the team so I can continue developing the strategy and sell, but he figured out he's not the right person for that. So like just uh, a learning along the way, I have two, two content writers, basically both of them uh, were copywriters, then become the content writers. I have two guys who are doing the advertising part. Meaning one has the experience with SaaS and the other one has more experience with e-commerce. So, so covering the, the both worlds, I'm still doing some of the, some of the LinkedIn, LinkedIn ads, those kind of things. And I have a girl who is doing, who is doing the design. 
So, so you guys have podcasts as a channel. You guys are using ads as a channel, LinkedIn ads, what I heard. You've got content writers. Um, what does your strategy look like right now where you've been noticing you're getting a lot more of that inbound? Um, and or how yeah, has it, did you change for this year? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, me, let me share with you a little bit. Uh, actually, things changed and it'll be in a way that I just guessed that they would change like three years ago because they changed uh, in the middle of the COVID time. The, the way we buy B2B products change. We buy now uh, asking in communities. We buy asking on social when there are some people that we trust and we pick up the phone and we call a few person that, you know, they're maybe more experienced than us and ask, you know, do you know this guy? Do you know this product? Do you know this, this agency? Whatever it is. If not, then they go to Google, right? And we didn't have like five years ago, we didn't have small communities. We didn't have those kind of stuff. So when I came up with that, I figured out like the first article of the marketing blog is that one describing exactly what we, what we do. So basically I said, I need content. Because it's not easy to come up with, uh, with ideas for the post every day. So I need the pillar content. Pillar content was the video. Uh, actually, the podcast that is then distributed as a video on YouTube, then distributed as, as an audio on all the, the audio platforms. And we distribute the video part on the company page. When actually we build the brands of our guests. First, those were the people from the marketing world. Then they become some of the people that we are targeting as the potential clients. It all developed a little bit and we go. So we distribute that on the company page and we build the company page by building the personal brands of the people from the company. At the same time, we are adding other people from the company from personal profiles and basically, you know, connecting with them, making sure that other people from the company are seeing the content as well. So maybe that guy doesn't get it but somebody else will, when we have that, basically in an hour of the content, we cover all the stages in the buyer's journey. So I can ask, how do they go? How do they call uh, the service? Do they already have a vendor? How is the decision-making process going? Where would they go to get educated? Uh, a lot of stuff that I can communicate with some other potential clients. With. Plus, I'm creating the content with my ideal clients, right? With my target audience, and I'm including them in distribution. Ideally, that's what it's happening. We don't do ads for that for us because it's enough at the moment. But for the clients, we add distribution via, via LinkedIn ads, meaning just the extension of what we're doing organically to make sure that the right people are consuming the content. Meaning we watch the, uh, the impressions and we watch the conversions in like 30, 60, 90 days if it's going to happen or no. So we know how our things going on, but they have enough information when it's time for them to buy, they will come to us and convert, or it will be somebody else, you know, not the person who is on the podcast, but the decision maker or somebody else. So we try to influence the decision making from the bottom and from the top in that way. Additionally to that, uh, I never was the guy who wanted to do the, the SEO part because yeah. like my first years in my career, like the first thing that I've done. Yeah, I learned in first agency was to do link building, but at the time it was uh, adding meaningful comments on the blogs, right? That was, that was link building at the time. So I didn't want to do that. I thought that right now where B2B marketing is going is not SEO, it's going before the intent. So I said, okay, when we publish articles on our blog, it's going to be dot leadership mostly. So uh, we have a topic, we elaborate on it, and then we include other people to give their opinions. So. It developed as a sort of another strategy uh, where actually I post something 
I give an opinion and I include some of the people that give their own opinion. We come up with, with the article. So we have quotes, we have people distributing it. That's how it goes. The one thing that help us be more recognizable as a brand is, you know, those LinkedIn lists. So LinkedIn top voices, those kind of things. Like we felt we are there, but nobody's mentioning a yeah. couple of us, right? So I said, okay, let's come up with, it was in the first year, let's come up with funky marketing top voices. So I asked everybody from the team, give me 10 names of the people that you, you know, you respect from LinkedIn and follow every day. We merged, merged it to like 20, 20 people, did interviews with all of them for the podcast. Everybody answered like a short questionnaire for the text interview. And basically it gave us the content for the next six months. And those are the people that we are seeing right now on LinkedIn. So this was like uh, Gaetano Dinardi, it was Nick yeah. Bennett, it was a, a lot of uh, a lot of people from from that team, and it helped us, you know, to skip a couple of steps, right, and to move to the next level. And it helped us also learn some of the things that we can do more for the clients. I love that. I absolutely love that idea um, that you guys decided to do your own versus leaning on LinkedIn for that. And how wonderful that you are able to get now, what, three to six months worth of content, deeper relationships and actually leveraging people, right? Leveraging people and their networks and their relationships over anything else. That is the perfect formula for actually working smart versus working hard, which I think a lot of brands still struggle. They work hard, but they don't work smart. So I love that. One of the things you also uh, mentioned is you guys work with B2B teams on capturing existing demand and then creating new demand. Any particular success stories in B2B SaaS, the companies that have uh, worked with you, any success stories that stand out on how you've been able to do that? Yeah, there, there are a couple of the, a couple of those. One that, uh, that I can mention, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting one. It's uh, one of the top 10 Turkish startups called User Guiding. They help onboard new clients, but it's not only that. It's no-code tool, it's project management, it's a lot of things in one. And the problem that they had, they didn't know what is the category in which they should, uh, they should rank for, right? So uh, once we figure out, we had calls with, uh, with the customers, actually for them, we didn't, they recorded it. Product team recorded the conversations and also the um, customer success team. So we, we could only listen, which was great. We didn't waste time on that. But we figure out that they're calling them five or six different names, you know, when they look for them and we figure out, okay, what should we do? So we came up with a strategy that we are not going to go from one category. We are going to go for the six. And what does it mean? It means that we need to produce a lot of content. And in that way, we wanted to go for the search for Google. So close the existing demand because it was obvious that they can rack for so many things that had the existing demand. What we did was basically create the media company inside the company. We helped them hire people, but while that was happening, our team was producing at the time, it was 3,500 verse article per month on a high level, which started to generate traffic. Then they added other people and basically it helped them close the next investment. At the same time, we activated them on LinkedIn, meaning the CEO, the CTO, and some of the marketing guys. And what happened, because they were already known a little bit, uh, but they just didn't post regularly. In a week, the, the CTO got hired by, by Google Docs team to go and host the lecture on them on, uh, on the onboarding journey. The, the CEO was approached by, by a couple of investors that wanted to join the, the next round and they blew up 
very fast. For example, that, that's one of them. The other one was, uh, it's kind of interesting, it's the unicorn in this part of the world. They are not growing to the, to the IPO in, uh, in New York, right? But it was a company that was growing pretty fast, tech development, a lot of tech development companies here. They had the capital. Basically, uh, what they were going after, they're opening the new market every month. There's the strategy. It doesn't need to be China. It can be the small one. The CMO approached us and said, hey, let's create a strategy for the company that we can leverage LinkedIn, right? We have a lot of employees. We want to get others inside it. So we just need to, to create the awareness. And what we did, we had three months training for all the employees inside the company, including the tech people, how to leverage LinkedIn for their personal profiles, for the personal brand, and how they all come together and create the company brand. So basically we created a hub inside the company where the CMO and the other leaders uh, are actually sharing, you know, giving them feedback, giving them ideas. And basically it's a psychology game. So we are trying to motivate even those developers that are not active, how to do it. I'm active, for example, like a lot of them came up with talking about board games, about different kind of stuff. Because, you know, that's their identity. Like the, the whole team, like board games, if you don't like board games, you're not the right member for the team. So we need to share that to be able to attract the right people. And like in like three or four months, they, they grew from 300 people to 800 people. Literally, the measurement was the number of, of growing people. You know, which, which is kind of interesting and a lot, a lot more stories, for example, for creating demand and coming up with the category, we work with a company that, um, it's actually uh, an interesting one because they will, they were growing with the market as well as the um, competitors, but we saw that there is a chance, possibly none of them are actually thinking about innovation, right? So we came up with, uh, three more products basically implemented and created the, new, the completely new website, built it up from the ground. Nobody knew that competitors or anybody else. It was the new name, the company then. Then we just strike, we changed the name, uh, came up and just won, won, the, won the category and won the market with having five different products when the competitors here maximum of two, right, in that niche. It's uh, wonderful. The examples that you've shared kind of shows that you guys are um, you guys are really going in, probably understanding the, the company, talking to the customers, trying to figure out where are the best opportunities for your team to help them if they don't have an idea, right? If it's like, hey, we want to work with your team, we're not sure how. So I'm sure there's a lot of time invested in first understanding them, their processes, their team. And you had shared a couple of things even related to LinkedIn and the power of LinkedIn, trying to get employees activated. That is something that I think we're seeing a lot more of on, um, I mean, for sure, if you're on LinkedIn, you're, you're hearing a lot more of it. And we're seeing success stories like Nick Bennett, right? And then the companies are benefiting from it. Like he was at Alice before. Now all I'm seeing and hearing is Airmeet. I'm sure you've heard of all of the noise Lavenders have been making. It's like a sitcom where every time I log in, it's like, there's a new will, there's a new will in town. And everything I'm seeing around that. So one of the things that you guys also specialize in and you've perfected, I think, because the quality has continued to be very high on your own personal LinkedIn, the, your team, whoever is managing the funky marketing for B2B, that's a huge opportunity. How do you sell the idea of evangelism to B2B company or leadership that doesn't quite understand it? Because here's the thing, as you probably recognize, we recognize as well, because we fortunately, our leadership team has allowed us to. 
And I'm part of it now. And, you know, before it's like, yeah, we'll let them, you know, I don't think they realize the benefits of organic, slow, patient relationship building on LinkedIn. Now we are sharing the, the metrics and the numbers with our team. And it's like, okay, this is awesome. But for those companies out there who are less patient and it's more like, I want to see results now. How do you convince them of the value of LinkedIn? How do you actually get them to, to, to you know, employ their team to start using a channel when B2B marketers are under so much pressure to find conversions, right? Very quickly. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the answer, which is probably not what you expect. I don't try to convince them. Because, you know, some companies need to die. Uh, and I always say that because it's the, the truth. If they want leads right now, there's Zoom info, there's uh, Cognizant, there's other tools that will give them the links right now. So sales can create demand on their own and close the demand, right? Which is what most of the companies are doing. You don't see many companies growing on LinkedIn, right? There are so, so many big companies. There are so many of them, like from time to time, one grows. Like it started with Drift a couple of years ago, but one thing that stands out, and it's also what I experienced, that's why I don't work with companies that they don't understand it. The leadership needs to be bought in from the start. So I need to talk with leadership and they need to tell me that they understand it because I've done it for 11 companies. Three of them succeeded. Only difference was, was the leader bought in uh, and fully active or no. Like that was the single thing that made or, or, or broke the, the whole deal. And from... What I'm seeing, like uh, leadership that is not brought in, they know that they need to be present on social, but they have never seen the results in the revenue related to the social, right? So, so this still thing is the vanity metric. But one of, one of the things that, that uh, you can go and you can show them that it's working is, you know, separate how you measure creating demand and actually closing the demand, right? Closing the demand, you only see LinkedIn. You don't know what's happening out there. Uh, you only see direct traffic. You don't know what's happening out there. You know it's coming from there, but you don't know how, what, or who recommend what's happening. If you measure creating demand separately, basically you have self-attributed form right on a um, on a website, which tells you, you know how did you hear about us. And I like to do another one which says, why would you like to work with us? And if you are creating demand and you are active, or let's focus on LinkedIn. So basically, you will find out that people actually leave a whole lot of text over there explaining because they are excited because you created the demand for that, right? I have some people that were saying, I was reading your hypothesis about go-to-market. They are totally different and totally fresh from what I'm seeing in industrial space where I am. And I would like uh, to have a conversation how we can implement that. Or uh, I have like Refine Labs recommended you. Or I have like Peplia recommended you. You know, a lot of different stuff. Or I got funked on LinkedIn. You know, like, because Nemanja is coming out of the pate on LinkedIn. Literally, somebody wrote that. You actually see what's happening. And when you, when you get that part, and you also include advertising, meaning measuring the impressions. And when you measure the conversions, you don't know if it's the impressions from the ads or it's what you're doing organic. But you see in 30 days, in 60 days, in 90 days, that the number of conversions is going up. That's how you know. And you know that it's coming from LinkedIn because they, they tell you. And that's some of the things that we can use to kind of 
convince them. The other thing that we can do is doing parallel demand creation thing and lead gen stuff that everybody are already doing, right? And you can you can show them how it's how it's going and measure those things and help them understand, you know, what are the costs actually of of lead gen, right? Because they only look at the cost per lead, for example, which is uh, you know they don't look what goes into it. So it's the salary of somebody who creates the, the content, somebody who does the advertising, budget for the advertising, sales guys call those people. Then, you know, you know it's usually BDR and then it's AI. So, so it's a lot of people and usually they think it's like, okay, let's call it 550 to $500, right? But it's 5000 to $10,000 actually the cost. So if you help them understand how everything works and show them each step, then they tend, they tend to understand. The bigger problem then, you know, that you're selling that is how to activate your team and how to actually help them go over some of the, some of the obstacles that they have. For that, we go and we create sort of a hub I mentioned inside the company. When we first teach them why LinkedIn is important for us, why do we want to go over there? How does it work? What posts perform well? What doesn't? We extract from them like the most important things about them. You know, like how you can talk about the present things, where you work now, what is the history? So like the experience, what is the future? So point of view, those kind of things create the roadmap for each person of the team. And basically then it becomes much, much, much easier. But the thing is, you don't go and do it if you don't have the right culture and the right people, meaning they need to already have the understanding of what does it mean to have the personal brand and what does it mean for them? Because, you know, you and me, we can go and tell them, hey, you go and post and post on LinkedIn. They will do it, but for like two weeks. Then they will say, aha, I'm, I'm doing it for myself or for the others. I'm telling that from experience because I tried to do that. Like in 2000, I think it was 17 or earlier, like Facebook removed the pages from the feed, right? And everybody panicked. Oh, what are we going to do now? Like Facebook is the bad guy. So I just said, okay, let's go to the LinkedIn. We included Facebook as well, but I created the checklist for the member of my team. What they are doing daily, you know, comment on free posts, like create a post and go and post in this, in this group, you know, all kind of different stuff. So it was working. But at the time, they weren't aware what it brings for them. They were thinking that they are doing it for the company. I mean, at the time, it was like, you know, asking people to do, to create a short video, to schedule, to send it to the client, to schedule a reporting call. They thought, oh my, do I need to do that? <laughs> and, you know, now we just, uh, you know, record ourselves like, like this. Everybody does that. The time change, and I think we need to change to change as well. The way we buy change, the way we consume things change. And I think what uh, executives needs to understand is that we are spending more time online, engaging with our peers than actually doing our job, right? And there's a huge opportunity for that to, to kind of sell something while we are doing it. Yeah, no, I love that. And also kind of sharing that if the people are going to do it, then the culture needs to be there. And it benefits the rest of us too, because... If you've got people who don't believe in the value and they're just posting for the sake of posting, that's where we start seeing a lot of those really shitty posts on LinkedIn where it's like, oh my God, unfollow, unsubscribe. Why is this on my feed? 
you can tell the difference between the people who believe in it and value it versus the people who are doing it just to try to hack the LinkedIn algorithm because um, the quality difference is so, uh, it is so obvious. I want to focus now a little bit just on you and your journey. I know you've been, you mentioned you've been doing this now for, um, for 11 years. You've had funky marketing? Yeah, for 11 years, I'm, I'm in marketing. Funky marketing yeah. exists for like yeah. three years. So yeah. What has been over the last, you know, 11 years, what's one lesson that you have learned? I'd say first one lesson that you've learned that has helped you and then one that is still taking you very long to unlearn. Yeah, that, that's kind of that's interesting. One thing that, that helped me a lot is, uh, and it's the one thing that I keep repeating, and it's kind of interesting because it's the first thing that everybody should do and know, it's get to know uh, your customers or your target group, right? I knew what I wanted to do early in the days when it wasn't still internet technology was just uh, coming up and I started marketing. So I wanted to do marketing in that area, but you know, I needed to wait for that to happen. And when it got, I was doing a lot of things different than the others because I knew that it resonated people that I'm talking. Right. So uh, I didn't care what the buzz is all around. Uh, I just focused on the customers and that's what, what actually brings me over there. What I needed to unlearn. Actually, there's an interesting example. When I started in the first agency, like in 13 months, I, I went from rookie to, to GM. We were like 15 people at the time. Everything that I learned, I was sharing in the company Slack. And they, one day, I mean, okay, I was leading the biggest clients and they were first on Google on search, Google maps, all the kind of stuff focused on automotive industry in the U S and Canada at the time. But the owners saw it and said, Hey, this, this guy is crazy. We didn't have anybody in the team that could be the GM before him. Let's make him the GM, give him the right rights and the responsibilities, uh, as we have, uh, and see what happens. So they left me for two months. And told everybody else, Nemanja has the, all the answers. He's the one in charge. So I didn't know any processes. I need, didn't know uh, any, uh, you know, credentials, whatever it is. I needed to do everything from the scratch. I needed to even learn what the process is. But one mistake that I did is I wanted to know everybody to go to the next level with me, you know, at the same speed, right? And I got the feedback from people. I got the pushback. And it was, aha, not everybody wants to, wants to learn, wants to grow. There are people who are uh, happy just to come to work, do the decent work for eight hours and go home, right? But then I need to figure out, is that good for the company? Do we actually need those people? So it kind of made me, uh, you know, put even more myself in the shoes of other people, not only the target customers, but also people I'm working with. Right. So, so I'm true, always trying to, to get, you know, what's actually happening in their lives, you know, cause I figure out, uh, once they leave the company, it's just the beginning of the relationship. It's not the end because who knows where they may end up. Who knows, are we going to work together in the future? Nobody knows, but, uh, you know, I cannot keep them at least, you know, let's try to have a great relationship. I can help them get to the next level. Then if they need to go somewhere else to get to the the other level, that's totally okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that, and I love that that you acknowledge that and you recognize that and you keep those relationships alive. Last question, then we'll move to rapid fire. Uh, if you could go back in time when you first started your career in marketing and give yourself advice, what would you what would you say? Oh, uh, I always feel like ten years behind because we had war, civil war in the nineties, 
couldn't travel. We couldn't do a lot of, a lot of different stuff. What I would recommend to myself, don't even go and study marketing because I didn't learn anything. I learned from the others that like wasted three years over there. I would go and get right into the business world because I went into the NGO world and activism and that's great. I learned a lot of stuff, but I would go and, you know, try to learn how to sell before, you know, try to get into the business world. Like now kids are going into the business and doing a lot of stuff. I wish I was able to do that in my time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, and hey, I mean, you're, you're doing great now. So even if you can't go back in time and give yourself that advice, you're all good. <laughs> 10 years put you behind, but I'm sure you've learned so much and you've made up that 10 years. Now the fun part which is a rapid fire. And then I will let you go. I know it's late for you. It's probably, it's almost nine o'clock for you. The idea behind this, you're supposed to be quick. People are usually never quick, but let's see how you can make this. <laughs> let's try. <it. laughs> what is your favorite B2B brand and then B2C brand? Then why? Uh, B2C brand is uh, Partisan Belgrade, of course. B2B, I would say to refine labs, they are revolutionizing the B2B. Yeah, love that. What is your most strongly held professional belief? professional belief that's kind of interesting believe in your inner child and always get back to that no matter uh what is decision you uh, you need to make yeah oh i love that that's my favorite what made you smile today wait that's interesting so i actually got back to the gym and it's the second day and i was like yeah i made it the second day so, so that's it. i love that yeah i struggle going to the gym but i've been i've been good salty or sweet sweet Okay. What's your pet peeve? I don't have it. I think I don't have it. Hey, that's awesome if you don't have it. The mind is if I have to repeat myself multiple times and someone can't hear me, it makes me really angry. I mean, I, I will consider like people not respecting deadlines, those yeah. kind of stuff and not, not giving up. I, I wouldn't think that that's like a pet peeve, but you know. Okay. That's, that's a reasonable one. What title would you give this chapter of your life? Uh, ready for the next one. Love that. What is one random thing you cannot live without? My bicycle. Nice. Okay. You're, I you're... think, yeah, I have, I have a cruiser, like the big one. So <laughs> I just cru cruise through the city. That's one thing that I enjoy. I listen to podcasts. I listen to the music, yeah, yeah. whatever. What is your favorite rainy day activity? Reading. I read a lot, especially comics, but recently like epic fantasy books. Yeah. Yeah. You got a ton of books behind you. What if you could pick one superpower? What would you choose? Mm, I, I think I have superpower. I was talking about it for like forever, and it's the ability to communicate. I think like yeah. technology will change, a lot of things will change, but the ability to communicate won't change ever. Yeah, totally. And that is a superpower. It's a very fundamental one. Last question: Who inspired you? Who should we invite onto the show? A lot of people. Zinebla Yachi, the first one, because like. She's the one finding out for other people uh, what's the goal they're sitting on and how can they actually use it. Right. So it's in app. Uh, another one is Ashley, Ashley Faust from, from Atlasian. The third one, Alan Hale. Okay. There are tons of other people. If you're feeling generous and you want to, you know, um, help us tap into your community, feel free to do the email intro for us so we can try to get the yeah. word. <laughs> All right, for well, sure, for sure. That's, that's basically it, Nemanja. I had a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you so much. Again, I'm glad we were able to make this happen. It sounds like a lot of the people that we have also had on the show have had good relationships with you. You mentioned a bunch of them. 
whether it was Chris Walker, he's been on from Refine Labs, Nick Bennett. So it's, again, shows the power of LinkedIn, such a small community and the fact that the two of us probably know so many. Now you have entered the Growth Marketing Camp community. So you're going to be a massive part of our community and a very valuable part. So thank you again for joining, um, joining me on the show and um, hope you have an absolutely amazing night. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And like, sorry that my mind was all around the place because probably it's because it's late. No idea, but uh, you know, I think we'll, we managed somehow. Oh, we totally did. And you know what? Again, shows the fact that we are not building, we are people. I told you, I am absolutely a zombie early in the morning. And then you shared with me that closer to the evening, it starts getting difficult, but I still, we learned tons. And I think our community is going to learn a lot when they listen to this episode. So thanks again. Lloyd, thank you. And uh, I mean, keep in touch. Thanks for listening to Growth Marketing Camp. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give it a quick five-star rating or share it with a friend or colleague looking to strengthen their skills with tips and inspiration. If you want to learn more about the company behind the show, head to opensense.com. That's O-P-E-N-S-E-N-S-E.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.